consider a brand new friend I'm getting to know, Brian Simmons. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Catherine. Pleasure to be on your podcast today. This is wonderful. So for those of you who don't know and have been hiding in a rock somewhere, (laughs) Brian Simmons is the lead translator of the Passion Translation Bible. And I was telling uh, you, Brian, that, oh my goodness, this is such a go-to to me. I can't seem to get out of it, which is a beautiful thing to get lost in. So uh, thank you for wow all your efforts with that. Now, you have quite a story. We were talking about it. Can you share a little bit about that? Well, my wife and I, before we got married, we were somewhat hippies in the 60s, late 60s. We got married in 71. And on our wedding cake, we put go into all the world and preach the gospel. We put that Bible verse there. And we did that. We ended up in the tribal village of Pucaro uh, on the border of Colombia and Panama, where the drug cartel had set up base. And for years, we ministered there, learned their language, was able to, by the way, their language had never been written down. So we, I was in on the finalization of the alphabet of the Payakuna language. And then, of course, translating the New Testament uh, assisted with that. And uh, saw a church birth, and it just was glorious. Then uh, the Lord sent us back, and after shortly after a couple of years after we were back in North America, our village was overrun by the drug cartel. Our missionary men were kidnapped and later killed. This was quite a quite a media issue years back in the nineties. Uh, every outlet, every television station was talking about it. The missionaries that were kidnapped and killed. But um, we came back and settled in Connecticut, where we started a church there called Gateway, and it grew and flourished, and just amazing what God did, supernatural, loved being a pastor. I still feel a pastor of heart, and I feel like a missionary at heart. So that's kind of our story. And then um, uh, about 15 years ago, the Lord spoke to me very clearly, and I'm understating it, uh, that we were to embark on this process of translating the Bible into a new dynamic version that would touch the hearts of millions of people. And we've been doing that now for 15 years straight, and I'm working now on the book of Deuteronomy. Wow. That's wow. And that's amazing. And it's exciting because you keep on, it keeps on growing. It's, it's, it's an evolving project, which Mm. is incredible and obviously a labor of love and, what fruit, you know, I, 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 you know, it's my go-to. I just can't get out of this translation, which I'm not trying to, but it's just beautiful. So, wow, that's amazing. You and Candace are hardcore. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> incredible. It's like, I didn't have that on my wedding cake. And, you know, so that's amazing. Uh, and, and, you know, what a, what a witness with a kind of a life sort of surrendered or however you want to call it laid down um, to the Lord, what you're able to accomplish and just the faithfulness of that. That's beautiful. And the fact that you pastored a church and loved it because pastoring, boy, that's a rugged, rugged job. 
And you can feel that pastoral heart as well as that missionary go around. And it's, it's incredible. So, wow, that's beautiful. So how, what book did you start off uh, when you were doing the Passion Translation? I love that question. I started with my favorite book in the Bible. It's the song of all the ages, the greatest song ever, the song of Solomon. And that, that captured me. I, I knew I had to translate that first. Oh, I love that. So this is God capturing, romancing your heart, and you just have to express it. And the <laughs> language you use, it just awakens something so beautiful inside. You can really pal- you know, uh, uh, feel that palpable love uh, of God just flowing through it. That's incredible. You know, I really think we underestimate the power of the love of Jesus Christ, the power of our bridegroom to love us into wholeness, to love us into maturity, into becoming that lookalike partner of Jesus for forever and ever. And it's love. You know, I, I pastored, like I said, many years and guilt-driven sermons and all of the exhortation and trying to get people to do things. When I began to focus on the Song of Songs and teach how much he loved them, it birthed the move of the Spirit in all of our lives that is still going on today. Wow. Wow. And that, boy, that is palpable. Isn't that amazing? That fruit that remains and just grows and grows and grows and grows because he captured your heart first, which is beautiful. Yeah, that's wonderful. So started from Song of Solomon's and then just kind of, or does God like, is this is this a, a direction that you feel like, oh, I'm really feeling a zing on this book or is God telling you which one to do next? Well, <laughs> I, I didn't necessarily feel a strong impression to do any particular book. However, I really love the gospel of Luke. Yeah. So I that was the next book I translated. Uh, actually, I did Psalms and Proverbs as well. But the first New Testament book was Luke and Acts. I figured since Luke authored both of those books, let's put them together like two volumes. And uh, Luke and Acts to this day, it was the first gospel that we really translated in the in their language, the indigenous people group that we worked with. And it's it just stuck with me. I love the gospel of Luke, how he loves uh, the disenfranchised. He cared for the hurting uh, women, children. His compassion really stands out. The humanity of Jesus really stands out in the gospel of Luke. Of course, he's God and incarnate, God in the flesh, but he's also a human being who loves, who has passions and has feelings like any other human being. And Luke brings that out. So that was kind of the next book. And then I went on into the letters of Paul and and uh, eventually finished the New Testament I finished in Bethlehem, Israel, to be honest. I, oh. I couldn't believe, I couldn't have organized this, uh, but I was in a hotel in uh, Bethlehem wow. and was translating Revelation. And I finally got to the end of the book and realized, wow, where the word was made flesh, we're translating the word for wow. uh, English speakers. It was it was phenomenal. And then we published the whole thing with the, the three Old Testament books along with the New Testament in 2017, October 31st. And some of our critics thought, oh, Halloween, this must be a devil Bible. No, October 31st, was it was 500 years to the day of the Great Reformation, which was really birthed with a Bible translation. Uh, and that was the spark of, of the Reformers, was the Bible being 
put into the language of the day so that everyone could read it and everyone could understand it. And then uh, Martin Luther later became, he was the bonfire, but mm-hmm. the spark was a translation. So yeah, those are just little tidbits about our journey and translating. Wow. How have you, how have you felt the reception of the translation? Now, and you hear, you know, you hear critics, it seems like you, you take a breath and someone's criticizing, <laughs> um, uh, but um, how has yeah. that been for you? The re- reception and yeah. positive, negative. It's uh, overwhelmingly positive. Right. We have raving fans that don't just buy a passion translation. They buy them buy the bundle and give them away to their friends and uh, yeah, we've been over a million copies sold and thousands of five-star reviews on Amazon. It's touching people's heart. It's not perfect. So I get it. I understand the criticism. And as uh, a leader in the, in the body of Christ, I understand you do something like translate the Bible. You're going to have uh, an endless string of people that will uh, will criticize it. There's never been a Bible translation that has had the social media uh, attack that that we have had, but it you know it doesn't deter me, Catherine. I know who who commissioned me to do this, and I'm not doing it for the critics. I'm really not doing it for anybody except him. I'm fulfilling that that call that he put on my life uh, 15 years ago, and I want to finish it 2028 and with the Old Testament, and be able to hand you uh, your personal signed copy. <laughs> Wow, that's incredible. And yes, that that is so that that audience of ones. I mean, he is the word. So I guess he he commissioned you, he knows what he's doing, and just the pleasure of that project together. And I know you have a team. Um, mm-hmm. it takes a team. Boy, to do anything, it seems like it takes a team. Uh, but uh, but that's that was placed on your shoulders. And you know, and and the people that are working with you, how did these people kind of pop into your frame of reference are these people you knew or how did this go actually our publisher uh has has garnered them has gone after them and pursued them and now we've got for every book i translate especially going forward every book i translate will have at least three scholars working with me uh not at the same time i i basically do the uh the hard work so to speak and then i forwarded it to one uh, two and three scholars, and they send me a critique, and I ha- I'm required to basically answer every concern, even if it's I'm seeing something you're not seeing, which sometimes is the case. Um, but yeah, I, I feel really good about the quality of the Old Testament, and I am looping back and doing a significant revision of, of the New Testament, just so that we don't have superfluous words or phrases and I'm aware of word count and I'm aware of all of that, but I really, I want it to, to sing. I want truth to sing its lyrics into the hearts of every reader so that they can connect with God heart deep. The Bible is not meant for the mind. Nobody has enough brains to really comprehend even the, even some of the more insignificant doctrine, so to speak, of the Bible. But the door to truth is the spirit open and yielded to God. And a heart that is hungering after God, that is longing for intimacy with God, they connect with the Passion Translation because it, it's speaking a heart language. And that's that's our goal, is to make God's powerful, emotive, glorious 
word to make it sing and speak to the heart of every reader. Wow. And that, that it so does, you know, it's interesting because um, I had shared with this, you, uh, this earlier, but you know, a lot of people in my audience have read my Mark by Love book, or at least know of it. And I got that, um, you know, that, that, that title directly from God. I had never seen that verbiage before until <laughs> I started digging in your translation and boom, there it was. I felt so vindicated. It's just a personal, uh, thank you, Jesus. I'm like really tracking with something. <laughs> so I just wanted to publicly thank you for that. That was just personally for me. Beautiful. Now we were going to talk about sort of this romance with God and you kind of alluded to it a divine romance. Um, is that have, Has this been part of your walk? You kind of mentioned earlier that in your earlier days, you were kind of preaching some hardline, maybe not so romantic, maybe harsh, maybe whatever. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but we were yeah. all sort of on a journey. How did that sort of play itself out for you? Well, I, we all are on a journey to love, to encounter the heart of God and to know him heart deep, not just intellectually or academically. But I did begin my Christian journey discipled by some wonderful people. I'm very grateful for them, but they were very hardcore. They were very, you know, they taught me how much I needed to memorize the Bible, which is good. So I memorized 17 books of the New Testament. It took me three years, but I committed those books to my memory. My wife helped me and we'd go through those memory verses with a chart and and everything just so that I could keep them but I didn't I didn't know how to love I wasn't the best husband I didn't uh I look back and uh I'm just grateful that God didn't give up on me and that he kept working in my heart bible knowledge can make you very self righteous if you don't uh engage heart level with God himself in the spirit so I found that to be true. And self-righteousness is something that we all must forsake and lay our lives down and take up the cross mm -hmm. and understand that God's love is what heals us, not angry exhortations, not guilt-driven theology. It's not being told constantly what's wrong with you, but it's being affirmed. It's being loved by the God who is love. God is love. And when we embrace that without trying to say, yeah, but, or, but, you know, mix it in with, with uh, anger or judgment, if we'll just take pure love, undiluted, pure into our spirit, it changed me. And that happened about 20 plus years ago in my ministry. When I found the song of the ages, mm -hmm. and I understood it to be beautiful romance between Christ and my soul. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Catherine, so many modern scholars, contemporary scholars, view the Song of Songs as a book of erotica. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I just know that I know in my spirit, that's not the ultimate interpretation of the greatest song ever. God did not legitimize one of Solomon's adulterous affairs right. and then make it wholly inspired scripture. So, I found the Song of Songs to be the greatest book in the Bible, perhaps one of two most neglected books in the Bible, the other being the book of Revelation. But I found the Song of the Ages to be healing, uh, to be powerful, and very 
vividly descriptive of how much Jesus Christ loves us. Wow, that's that's incredible, that divine romance. And that's I am so glad you mentioned yeah. that because people get very confused. <laughs> and of course, as human beings, we just tend to be confused. It's just a just our part <laughs> of our challenge, our blindness, our whatever, our brokenness. And then in how we're seeing him. And so this um, paint paint for us a a picture because we're talking about how we're seeing God rightly as our, as our bridegroom, not in an erotic way or, 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 or talking about a story in an erotic, but in this way of the romancer hearts, our greatest need, right? We need love like more than we need air. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, you know, getting the meta themes of the Bible correct. And I'm convinced that bridal theology is what I call it. I don't, I'm not the only person that's called it that, but bridal theology is the key to understanding the 66 books that make up our Bible. It both ends and begins with a marriage, with a wedding. And Jesus came, John the Baptist described him as the bridegroom. And Jesus came lived a life of purity and holiness and, you know, paid the price for our sins. And he taught on parables of the bride and the bridegroom. His last teaching on earth was parables about a bridegroom. The first miracle he did was at a wedding. And so much of Jesus is is meant to convey to us, not just a buddy, not just our Lord, which he is, and we will kiss the sun, Psalm 2, we will bow down and kiss the sun. But the intimate love a bridegroom has for a bride, this changed my life, and I think it'll impact everyone that's with us here today. The last word Jesus spoke on the cross was not to telestai. That's the Greek text of our Bibles. Uh, but it is it is finished, of course, is the translation But Jesus did not speak Greek. We know for sure he did not speak Greek on the cross because we have him saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is not the Greek language. So the last word Jesus spoke on the cross was kala. And kala has at least two meanings. One of them, it's called a homonym. One of them is finished. And obviously hearing Jesus say those words, uh, or say that word kala on the cross, that's that's wonderful. It is finished. And I would never take that from anybody. But the other meaning of kala is it is the Hebrew word bride. Oh, my goodness. Bride. Yeah. Wow. What if the last word Jesus spoke was for a bride? Yes, it's finished, but for who? Yeah. And then uh, every mother would know this, blood and water, he gave birth to his heavenly Eve on the cross. She was birthed in the wounds of his side. We, as the eternal Eve, now we trace our genesis, not just back to Adam, but back to Jesus in the cro- on the cross. Mm-hmm. And washed clean, made pure, radiant, Jesus is going to come back for a radiant bride. He's not coming back for a husband. <laughs> He's coming back for a bride. Wow. And that imagery is is so important because the bride is the one that's receptive to her bridegroom. And so being receptive and yielded and being taken care of uh, by the bridegroom is this beautiful picture of how we engage with God. We all need 
to be receptive and taken care of and protected and all of that as 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 the as as the bride uh whether we're male or female it's this is not a male female issue it's a relational issue right so that is so uh gorgeous and i had i've never heard that I've never heard that bride as and, the, what's the last thing we were on his mind. The very last thing. Absolutely. He, he thought of you when he carried the cross, mm-hmm. when he prayed all night in the garden, he thought of you mm-hmm. and he wants you. He desires you all his desires. Song of song seven, verse 10. All my desires are fulfilled in you. We fulfill the desires of the son of God. And to be that radiant partner, the lookalike, the, you know, co-heir of all things, the co-signer to the title deed of the universe, Mm -hmm. our position, our identity is not just a friend or a servant or even a son or daughter. Mm -hmm. Our identity is going to end up becoming the bride. The last one of the last verses of the Bible in book of Revelation, the spirit and the bride say come. So our identity is going to shift in this next season of our lives to becoming that perfect partner to him. He wants a bride. That's why he came. Father sent his son who loved the world, who would pay the price, the bride price, the dowry price, so to speak, and and secure to himself a lookalike, someone that, you know, would he could share his throne with in eternity. If we're told not to unequally yoke ourselves mm-hmm. in marriage, mm-hmm. why would God the Father allow his son to unequally yoke himself? Absolutely. We will be the equal yoke partner to Jesus Christ. Wow. And not at our own strength, because sometimes we can fall into the trap of striving to be rather than being and doing right from that place. And, you know, if we're striving to clean up our act or striving, it's not like we don't have to do things, but yeah. it's not from the place of striving because our original identity looks just like, I mean, we're in the image and likeness of, of God by origin. And so uh, uh, operating from that and having Holy Spirit help us with that because apart from him, yeah, yeah that's amazing. that, that's that's a restful place to be because we're all very aware uh, of the uh, where we're not radiating, where, where we've got spot and where we have blemish <laughs> and grateful that Holy Spirit is so masterful at his job. Right. And conforming us to, into the image of the bridegroom so that we're there's an equal yoke. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah he, he doesn't wait till we glow in the dark to love us. or bless us. He has given us his crown and watches us grow up to fit it. Uh, Long before we feel lovely, he calls us beautiful. Eight times in the Song of Songs, he calls his bride beautiful. And I don't think he exaggerates. Doesn't say we look beautiful. That may be a hard stretch for me, but we are beautiful to him. The God of beauty and glory defines beauty by the yielded heart of a believer. Wow. That is so beautiful. I'm actually writing a, a book called Redeeming Beauty. And it was a wow. God just um, sat me down. I was in the airport, was not looking beautiful. I think I'd gotten caught in the rain. I mean, I'd been, I was in a six hour layover. I was not beautiful. It was just not a thing. <laughs> and he, okay. out of the blue, he goes, Catherine, I'm redeeming. I'm like, yes, you are. 
<laughs> and he goes, <laughs> I'm redeeming beauty, sit down. And so he, he, and then he, I sat down and just started typing out. So it's a project I'm still working on. We'll see when that comes. So you're speaking such a language that he's been speaking to me as the, you know, a, a beauty as a value of who he is and then a value of who we are created in his image and likeness, which is incredible. So yeah. I thank you for that. That's, that's incredible. What yeah. else do you need to know about this fabulous bridegroom or about our, uh, yeah. us as his bride? Well, that, that we are going to be reigning forever with this bridegroom. We're in training for reigning, schooling for ruling. Mm-hmm. He's preparing us uh, for this glorified place at his right hand. And I, I, I think the key that I could give to our, our viewers, our listeners here is if you want to understand the Song of Songs, go the way of allegory and metaphor, because the Song of Songs is written in a code. And when you decode the symbols of the Song of Songs, it becomes this beautiful love story between Jesus, who's greater than Solomon, mm-hmm. and the Shulamite, mm-hmm. who, uh, male or female, we become that partner for him, that lookalike lover. We're lovers of God. That's the greatest commandment in our life is to love the Lord our God and to love each other with that same love. So the affection of God relentlessly pursues our hearts until we yield, until we, you know, until the mountain of my pride melts like wax. And I come before him with no boast, no nothing to commend myself other than his measureless grace. And I let him love me. And those two words begin the book, let him. And I think that's the Bible in two words. If we would just let him, it affirms us. There's no guilt. There's no condemnation. There's nothing you have to do. Mm-hmm. You know, his banner over us is not try harder, work harder. <laughs> his banner over us is love. And that's why we're still immature. Jesus enjoys weak, immature believers. That's kind of all he has. Right. So exactly. uh, he he loves <laughs> yeah. us and enjoys us just like I enjoy my grandkids. You know, they make a mess. They maybe crayons on the wall or something, but I love them. Don't say anything bad about my grandkids, you know? And so we're affectionately embraced by the son of God. I keep coming back to the humanity of Jesus, you know, that he has the passions of any man. Mm. And when he went to heaven with his body, he didn't leave his humanity. He went in a glorified state, of course, no blood, but his flesh and bone. He is a man inside the Trinity. The universe is being led and governed by a man. And this perfect God-man, Jesus Christ, did not leave earthly his earthly passions for friendship and for intimacy and for union that he wants to have with us he's inviting us into the trinity he's inviting us to share the bliss that father son and spirit have had for eternity we get to taste of that power of love we get to enter into the glory of what the early fathers called the heric uh, the uh, perichoresis, yes. which is the God who the the God who is fully integrated and penetrated into each other. The Father, Son, and Spirit are inseparable. 
And perichoresis was that dance around you, God, that that celebrates you because you woke up, not because you did something for him, noteworthy, but just because you've opened your heart and given him your passions. He comes and sings over you and dances over you. And oh my, whew, it is. I'm getting I'm getting blessed over here just talking about it. <laughs> so am I. It's like wow, amazing. Why do you think as human beings? Um, we have such a hard time letting him love us. Why, 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 yeah. if you could postulate or whatever yeah. with your experience or, you know, how it was for you or whatever, you know, who you see in front of you. I think a couple of things really get in the way and self-condemnation. Mm-hmm. Uh, most Christians have been, uh, it been drilled into their head that you are a sinner mm-hmm. But, you know, when Paul wrote to the Ephesians, he didn't say, I'm writing to the sinners at Ephesus. He he says, I'm writing to the holy ones, Absolutely. you holy ones, the saints. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're told our Christian life that our heart is wicked and evil. And, well, it was. Mm-hmm. I have a new heart. He's yeah. placed in me a new covenant heart that he can write his words upon and he can move my heart. And I can embrace him and flow in cooperation with him. So self-condemnation is so big. This is suicidal in its in its full manifestation. It becomes suicide. Self-hatred, which is the cause of many illnesses in our body. Self-hatred itself gets in the way. You know, how can he love me? And we analyze the love of God, which is facetious. You cannot analyze God's love. It's not meant, it will not submit to your analysis. It's not meant for the mind. It's meant for the heart. And your mind will never catch up. It's the height, the width, the length, the depth. But I said there were two. And the other is the hurts of our heart and our life, where we have been hurt by people who said they loved us. Mm -hmm. And it could come in the form of abuse, verbal, other physical, all kinds of abuse. Uh, It can come from authority figures that, that broke trust with us. Mm-hmm. and did not display the love of, of God, the love of a father. So the father wound and, you know, just the wounding of our heart gets in the way. So if you can be healed in your innermost being and understand your true identity, and I know this is what you're all about and your ministry, which I, is so commendable. I know this is what you stand for. Mm-hmm. If, if we can get our hearts healed and understand that we're the bride it, it's no longer a stretch to be uh, melted in his love, to be consumed by his love, to be aflame with his love, to have the fiery seal over our heart and over our arm that we become marked by love. We become marked forever with the seal of God on our forehead, which is our thoughts. Yes. And to, to have the mind of Christ and to know that he doesn't discourage, he doesn't uh, harp or nag or lecture us. Mm-mm. He may discipline us, but it, then he hugs us and holds us to himself yeah. as any father would uh, a weak child. So to know the love of Jesus Christ, my, this should be the pursuit of every one of us. Divine romance is what it's all about. God is a lover. Yeah. He created us to be loved mm-hmm. and to love others. And when we find our ultimate calling in love, 
God is love. We find our embrace in the love of God. We fulfill the law. We fulfill the commandments. And we reach the goal of our instruction, which is love out of a pure heart and a, and a clean conscience. Wow. wow. That is beautiful goodness. Wow. wow. So much. Whew, that's what a oh, overwhelmingly beautiful and Wow. So we're kind of winding to close because I want to honor your time and you have a, a deadline. Uh, what final thoughts would you like to share with everyone? Just to read the Song of Songs as a love story between you and Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And yes, the terminology and the words, it's called terms of accommodation. He accommodates our inability to understand how great his love is. So he's using romantic terms to help us enter in. You know, it starts out with a kiss. I mean, come on, that's that's romantic, isn't it? I mean, a, a kiss, that's what we long for is the kiss of God, not Jesus kissing us on the lips, that's weird, but the kiss of God over our spirit, over our heart, where we're affirmed, loved, and cherished, where the segula, the Hebrew word, treasured possession, where his cherished possession he bought us with, with a price, the blood of Jesus, and to walk in that love and trust in the love of God. And no matter what comes, we can stand complete, full of the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. Uh, true Greek scholars will tell you that it is singular. There is no fruits. It's not fruits. It's one fruit. All the other eight are but expressions of love. Joy is love exalting, love celebrating. Peace is love at rest. Meekness is love at school. And all of the virtues of the spirit life all come back to that one pearl, love. It's the greatest of all. <clears throat> and you can't OD on it. You can't overdose. God will never rebuke you for being too loving. Uh, there's no prohibition to love. This is the one endless virtue of God that you cannot ever get enough of. Yeah. So keep going, keep pursuing, find it on every page of the Bible, especially the Song of Songs. I'll, I'll end with, with um, perhaps my favorite passage. It's in chapter 6, uh, verse 5, and the king, Jesus, says to his bride, turn your eyes from me. I can't take it anymore. I can't resist the passion of these eyes that I adore. Overpowered by a glance, my ravished heart undone, I'm held hostage by your love. I'm truly overcome. We have the ability to ravish the heart of Jesus with one glance, one glance of our eyes, and we ravish his heart. When I taught this in France, in Paris, I went through three translators. They couldn't handle it. They fell down, weeping, sobbing, the translator. Wow. And I, I said, okay, give me another translator. And, and I'd keep teaching this, and they would translate into French. And, and halfway through, she would turn to me and say, God really loves me this much? I said, more than that. And bam, they would fall down and weep. And I said, okay, give me a guy. Maybe one of the men can help me with this. Hopefully <laughs> they'll be able to take this. And we're able to get through the whole book. But I love teaching this message. 
that we ravish the heart of Jesus Christ, not by doing good things, but by glancing his way in worship. We ravish his heart. We conquer him. We, we overtake him, so to speak. What demons cannot do, a worshiping lover can accomplish. You conquer the heart of the conqueror. And if you conquer a conqueror, why that makes you more than a conqueror. Wow. I don't know how to end after that. That is so incredible. Wow. Well, we are going to be diving the Song of Solomon. This is just a thing. But uh, through that and diving in the rest of the word of God through that lens, everything fits into place, which is breathtaking and transformational. We don't walk, we don't walk away the same way we came in. So thank you. This has been that kind of an interview that's life-changing. Thank you so much. And I thank you, Catherine. Love getting to know you and can't wait to read Mark by Love. Oh, well, thank you. Well, um, this has been a joy. Everybody share this. Uh, someone out there that you know needs this interview, needs what's the carried on it. Go out and get your copy of the Passion Translation and let it minister to you. And thank you once again, Brian. It was really incredible. So thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, share this and love you guys. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Perspectives with Catherine Toon. For additional information and resources, please visit catherinetoon.com.